Hey, this is Doug Jones from Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, Hellboy 1 and 2, Hocus Pocus, Pan's Labyrinth, and currently on Falling Skies. But today, you are listening to Genretainment. Hi everyone, you're listening to another episode of Genretainment over here on SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. Genretainment is where we give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now, we have a special episode with audio recorded at Gen Con, the largest gaming convention in North America. Marks went to the Gen Con Film Festival and spoke to various filmmakers about the projects. And he also spoke with the coordinator of that festival. Yeah, I had a great time hanging out with old filmmaking friends and making many new ones. Now, before we start the interview, we do want to point out that the music that you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Also, we should mention the winners of the festival. For best series, second place was Standard Action. We've had the pleasure of speaking with them before in the show. And the winner was the Platoon of Power Squadron. For best short second place was Felix Graves, and the winner was Magic the Gathering the Musical. For best feature, second place was Eternity, and the winner was, drumroll, Project London, which we actually had Jen Page, one of the stars of the movie, on the show in the past. So congratulations to the winners. Now the festival was tons of fun and jam-packed with great panels and screenings. So without further ado, let's get started with our coverage of the Gen Con Film Festival. Hey guys, I'm up in Indianapolis here at Gen Con. What a lot of people don't know is Gen Con has a film festival, a really great film festival, and I'm here with the the mastermind of that festival. <laughs> Can you introduce yourself, please? Hey, Marks, thanks. Uh, this is Chuck Budrow. Like I say, I'm the film coordinator at uh, Gen Con. Been doing this for the last five years or so. Now, Gen Con's the biggest like gaming convention pretty much in the world, I believe, or at uh, least in the North America. Yeah, longest running, uh, biggest uh, gaming convention in the world. Uh, tremendous uh last year we had uh, over forty-one thousand attendees and now when did the film festival start coming into play and how did you get involved in it actually they've been showing films at gen con for a really long time but as far as an actual real film festival where we hand out awards and uh, just properly do it up it started that about four years ago and uh it's been steadily growing uh the number of films has just become astronomical and it's just uh bringing people in from all over the world so we're about a little over halfway through now i think um so can you tell us a few of the high points so far a few of the projects have caught to your eye uh we had one that was showing this morning called uh, the singularity principle which is a really interesting story about uh quantum physics and people jumping from alternate universes and it's very very technical but uh it was done so incredibly well good special effects and uh, uh, storyline that really just sits back and makes you think. Um, some of the other ones that I've like, we got a short called uh, Bridges, which is a uh, live action uh, graphic novel, and it is based on the Berlin airlift, and it is just done up so stylistic, so amazing that, that the whole time you're watching, you're going, "Wow!" Great. I know there's a few other events happening or have happened. Uh, let's see here. Gamers, Hand of Fate premiere, uh, Aiden yeah. 5 premiere. What's some, what's some stuff going on? 
Uh, yeah, like say, uh, the Gamers Hand of Fate has just been tremendous this weekend. I mean, it's just a huge crowd. All their Kickstarter campaign people are turning up in groves to check out what they've put together, and uh, everybody's walking away just thrilled by it. It's an amazing thing. Another film that just completely caught me off guard, I mean, I expected it to do well in this environment, was uh, a film called Magic the Gathering the Musical, and it's all done with puppets, and... Uh, it was standing room only last night for that screening of that, and everybody was cheering, and I don't think a single person walked out during the whole course of the thing. It was beautiful. We've got those type of things that are just, you know, gamer-centric that are just amazing. We've got some really good documentaries on uh, the gaming industry, which are just full of tons of great information from how they how they bulk purchase the cardboard and uh, different companies that are stamping out all these cards that people play with and everything. It's just um, uh, things that you, you, it's almost like the uh, TV show, How's It Made, except uh, on steroids. <laughs> um, the um, other thing we've been doing recently is a lot of web series, and the web series track has really taken off. Um, we've got uh, well, Book of Dallas <laughs> that you worked with. Uh, it's uh, doing really well. As you mentioned, the uh, the series uh, Eight and Five, which was our winner of the Best of Series last year, is back this year, premiering their next season. And then uh, uh, Gamer Chick, uh, we always love having them around. Um, a lot of really good fantasy uh, series like uh, Walking in Circles and uh, Spell Fury. So there's, uh, and I know I'm missing some stuff. So there's there's over 140 films showing this year. So. Uh, possibly can't that's all <laughs> <laughs> um, so if someone's listening to this and they're like hey Gen Con I need to submit my series or, or film uh, uh, when's that going to be available again for next year we start opening for submissions uh, we do it through withoutabox.com um, so all filmmakers uh, look forward to it in late January submission process starts in uh, late January and runs through the end of April which is almost a full six months from uh, the convention, but it, it takes that long to get it organized. All right. Well, great. Thanks for speaking with us. Thanks a lot, Marks. How does it make you feel? Well, I guess that's the difference between us. I don't feel anything at all. Hey guys, still up in Indianapolis here at Gen Con Film Festival. Uh, we just watched the Aiden 5 Season 2 premiere. I'm here with uh, one of the executive producers and writers and one of the stars. Can you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, this is Vitas Barzdukas. And I'm Maya Sayer. All right, well, how did the screening go? Um, it, it, I thought it went really, really well. It's been a while since you know we, we put it together and uh, wrote it and filmed it, and uh, it was quite a pleasant surprise. I thought it looked fantastic. I thought it was very compelling. I um, thought the performances were great, so I'm very happy by it. Yeah, we had a great showing for it with uh, lots of people ask wonderful questions, and I was really excited to see it. Right. <laughs> Honestly, right. I couldn't. I didn't really remember exactly what was in the first episode because it's been a while. Great. And when can people expect to see it online, do you think? Um, well, right now, I, the plan is to get it out uh, towards the uh, late fall. I think that's the plan right now. It was supposed to be this weekend, but uh, things got pushed back. So it'll be, I think, the end of fall. I think that's what Ben Bay said, who's the producer. And how many episodes season two is going to be? Uh, right now, it's uh, we shot for 13 episodes. Uh, we might have to um, add an episode, um, possibly just because of the length of some of the episodes. So... 
because yeah, they're longer than last season, right? Yeah, um, a few of the episodes are, are longer. Um, one of them is very long, so we might have to maybe cut that one in half. We haven't really talked about it yet because it's towards the end. So we're right now it's going to be between 13 and 14. For people who haven't watched Aiden 5, can you tell them a little bit about Aiden 5, what it's about? Um, sure. Um, Aiden 5 is about a uh, detective who's trying to figure out uh, who's killing his own clones. And um, as he's doing this, uh, he starts unraveling a bigger mystery about um, his background, where he came from, his family, and yes, and that, that's really what the story was about. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your character, Maya? Um, I play Detective Riley. I am Detective James Aiden's partner, and I assist him with the giant mystery, the giant ball of wax that just keeps getting bigger and bigger the more that you get into the series. It's, it's really a fun mystery. There's so many different elements in it. There's science fiction, there's action, there's drama, there's a little bit of romance. It's fun. <laughs> Without being too spoilery, I suppose, can you tell us a little bit about so- something you really liked from this first episode? Uh, the first episode, um, actually, the uh, there's one really cool sequence that is from the drawings. Um, there is a, a very cool fly-through sequence in the first episode that is really breathtaking and uh, where we touch on little things from season one during the fly-through that I think get the audience right back into the world that they just left in season one. I think that might have been my favorite one and uh, the action sequence in the car I thought was fun too. Yeah, we also got quite a few comments about the very first uh, sequences, Brian, the, the guy who plays James Aiden in a phone booth. And it's just from a design standpoint, it's, I think it's pretty darn cool. It's very unique. And um, I think people are really going to like it. Yeah, I, I thought the uh, the performances were, were were outstanding on everybody's part. I believe at your booth you have a picture of your new main bad guy from this second season. Uh, uh, yeah, we have a new bad guy um, that a we're. Girl. It's a girl. Yeah, yeah, a new bad girl that's <laughs> um, that we're introducing in in, in uh, season two, and uh, I think the audience is really going to like it. She's different from anything that we have right now in uh, in, in eight and five, and. I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I can't, I can't wait to see what these guys did with it. So you guys won for Best Web Series last year at Gen Con, which you got a free booth out of that. And I believe you're sharing it with Zombie Orpheus. Yes. So how's that been going for you guys? Um, good. Um, it's actually been uh, really interesting. We have a lot of you know, fans that are coming up to our booth. Um, we have everybody from you know, people who followed us on uh, Season 1. We have people who are you know, fans of the show coming by. We have people who know nothing about the show that are buying the DVDs just because they're interested in the concepts. You know, a lot of people want to support local art. So, yeah, it's, it's been better, actually, than I expected it to be. Have you been manning the booth very much? I have been. And, yeah, it's been a really unique experience because you get to talk with so many different people and share the project. And there are people who are just very excited about supporting independent art. And that's really, that's, that's very encouraging. Hey guys, I'm up here in Indianapolis at Gen Con and uh, at the Gen Con Film Festival. And right now I'm speaking with... This is Rennie Eructo, producer and owner of Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. Can you tell us a little bit about Zombie Orpheus? Well, yeah, Zombie Orpheus is a... Uh, we make movies and we make great, uh, great, uh, great fan-based uh, 
uh, products, uh, including the gamers. We make uh, Journey Quest, and we also have a aggregate website where we bring in um, other other content uh, from other producers as well. Um, in fact, we just released the Gamers Hand of Fate, the third in the Gamers series. We released it on Wednesday. Go to www.watchthegamers.com to check it out. How did the screening go? It was amazing. We sold out. 500 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. In fact, we actually have four screenings here. And so what's Zombie Orpheus besides the movie up to right now? Well, actually, the movie's been um, occupying our time. So after Gen Con, we're going to be uh, mastering the film, getting on DVD, making sure we do fulfillment of the film because we did a massive Kickstarter, brought in $405,000. So a lot of people that are expecting a lot of products. So that's going to be taking up our time for the next couple of months. We're going to be hitting packs in Seattle um, in September, the beginning of September. And then uh, crossing our fingers, we hope to um, have ZoeCon, our sec- a second annual ZoeCon, in, in November. Where can people find you online? Uh, go to zombieorpheus.com. That, that's spelled Orpheus, O-R-P-H-E-U-S. Captain's Blog. The Remarkable is en route to pick up Admiral Grissom as he returns from a diplomatic summit. We'll be hosting the Admiral for the next few days, and preparations are underway to ready the ship for his arrival. All right, let's hustle, people. Let's hustle. Let's get all that trash. Very nice. Get all that blood out. Get it nice and clean. Here we go. Thank you. Hey, guys. I'm still up here in Indianapolis, Indiana, at Gen Con, at the Gen Con Film Festival, talking to different filmmakers. And uh, right now I'm speaking to a web series creator. Can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, my name is Nathan Blackwell, and I'm the co-creator, writer-director of Voyage Trekkers. And for those who haven't seen Voyage Trekkers, can you explain what the show is about? Sure. Um, it's a sci-fi comedy web series about the worst crew in the galaxy. And... There's obviously a lot of Star Trek humor in. Are you a big Star Trek fan? Yeah, we're definitely fans of the genre. Um, we didn't. It's it's not. I wouldn't call it a Star Trek parody. You know, it's a sci-fi comedy because we don't use like the Star Trek uniforms. We kind of create our own little universe, kind of like Galaxy Quest did. So, it, but there is yeah. I mean, it's it's very obviously very close to Star Trek, but we really kind of wanted it to be both like a parody of all sci-fi so there's a, like oh, like little touches of like Star Wars and Flash Gordon in there as well and also kind of like a love letter too. I know on one of the panels you were talking about building an actual set. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah um, so season one we just had them on away missions all the time <laughs> and we're based in Phoenix Arizona so they're always on desert planets <laughs> but yeah our big goal for season two which is out right now is building the bridge set. And it was it, it was much more uh, an ambitious undertaking than I thought it would be, and I thought it was going to be a really big ambitious undertaking. Um, we basically did like a Kickstarter just for the bridge um, to raise money for it, um, and we spent probably a third of what it should have cost uh, just because we didn't have the money. And so, in terms of like renting an actual space to do it, we kind of cut corners and 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 got favors. And in terms of like the actual building of it too. It was completely volunteer force, people painting, um, and it, it, we basically stretched out the whole process because we didn't have the money to hire a bunch of builders to really kind of knock it out of the park. So, yeah, it, it was definitely difficult, but definitely rewarding. Great. And you said season two is out right now? Yeah, we're, we're basically winding down season two right now. Um, our season 
Uh, we just announced when our season finale is going to be, and it uh, sep- looks like it's going to be September 18th, but we've released nine of the ten episodes. The last episode is just taking extra long <laughs> because we put in too many special effects. And so all, our, all of our visual effects, like the ships, it's like a, it, what we wanted to do is end with like a big ship-to-ship combat. And all of our visual effects is done by an animator who actually lives in Australia who really dug our show from season one and said, I just want to help. And we looked at what he did, and I was like, oh, my God, that's fantastic, you know. But unfortunately, we just put too much on his plate, you know. And so it's, it's, we, we release every two weeks, but this one's going to be delayed by a couple of weeks. So whenever the concept was originally created, uh, what was the motivation behind making it a web series? So we originally weren't planning to do, like, the full-on like web series like 10 episode thing we just wanted to kind of like oh let's see how many episodes we can do in a single weekend and we did six (laughs) the season if you want to go back in season one it it kind of started off with a different premise than season two in a certain way like production wise they were they're very short and they're kind of like little scenes of what would be a larger like episode this is where they completely screw up it's like this is where like a normal crew would get the job done they completely just fouled up you know and so they were kind of like little vignettes in that sense and in season two they're really more full episodes and so yeah as we did the first couple of episodes we go like this was kind of fun and so if you'll notice like the longer episodes in season one are really kind of filling out the world more as we kind of like oh we need to kind of explain this you know and also kind of just kind of stretching out the concept a bit more so, yeah, we, we kind of fell into it. Great. And who's your favorite character? Oh, it's too tough. See, I'm, it, it's too tough for me to say, you know. But, I mean, it's, it's definitely fun to write for uh, Captain Sunstrike because he's such a, 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 such a brave fool, you know. He just he thinks so highly of himself and he'll just crash down doors. But at the same time, it's really fun because in some ways he's a very sad character, too. Because um, he, he is the captain of the worst starship in the galaxy, and he knows this. I mean, maybe he thinks he's a little better than he does. But he knows that he's living... Uh, in season two, we find out that he's living in the shadow of... Like, like when you say Captain Sunstrike, they don't think of him. They think of, like, like the famous Captain Sunstrike, his older brother. So this is like the adventures of, like, Ralph Kirk... You know, <laughs> and so that was that was one of the fun things we wanted to kind of add in terms of everyone is knows about his brother, and, and so now we kind of understand. Uh, like with season two, yeah. you, no, no one talks about Ralph, but I liked Ralph. Right. I, mean, I mean, he was a good guy. I mean, his parties were a little awkward, but I mean, he was nice, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it's like season one was very brief and short and um, with season two we wanted to kind of take these almost dare I say caricatures that a lot of people think of in terms of like Star Trek parodies and kind of give depth to them and actually start developing them further and kind of move a little further away from like a direct Star Trek parody and kind of create our own universe. You screened here at Gen Con how'd that go? Uh, That went well Um, you know it's uh, we're we're from Phoenix and so um, we weren't able to really kind of like promote it super heavy here but i was really happy with like the response that we got we had we had a screening on friday and yeah it's it's always i mean you're always nervous as a filmmaker how is it going to be received are they going to get it 
is this like like a regional thing or is this like a you know is it just like people who dig sci-fi but it went over really well they, they asked a lot of cool questions the Q&A great and so where can people find your show uh, well we're on YouTube but you can go to voyagetrekkers.com um, and you can watch season one and what we've got so far of season two uh, and then we're also on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Voyage Trekkers. Hey guys, this is Mark. I'm up here in Indianapolis at Gen Con at the Gen Con Film Festival talking to different filmmakers, and here we got another one. Uh, can you uh, introduce yourself, please? Sure. I'm Chris Lukeman, and I'm the uh, showrunner and director for Once Upon a Time in the 1970s. It's a uh, sci-fi period piece set in the probably alternate 70s, uh, featuring some sci-fi, ray guns, robots, and disco. <laughs> Sounds like an interesting combination. Where'd the idea come from? Well, um... We'd finished up doing a lot of horror comedy shorts and stuff like that back in, I don't know, 2011 or so. And I really wanted to get out of the, oh, you just make horror film space. So I wanted to do sci-fi, and I really saw some opportunities to integrate uh, practical effects. Using digital effects to make practical effects look awesome. And uh, I'd kind of been jonesing to build a large robot puppet for a while as, as an antagonist. I did a goofy horror film years ago where I had a... 90 pound wearable suit it's called the robot man it it was all illegal music so it never played anywhere besides uh in my hometown but ever since then i've been thinking about ways to really pull off a cool looking like practical effect robot on a no budget make it myself kind of uh kind of situation so that was kind of the genesis so i had kind of a a setting of where what kind of world would this kind of antagonist be in, and then I kind of developed it into there's a space-time portal, there's um, a lot of strange technology. Uh, we love the 70s because it's such a great time period where analog tech was just about switching over to digital, so everything was really clunky. We used lots of uh, transistors, lots of big old vacuum tubes. Who are you? Uh, the, the guys have started calling me spring Jack. It's based on some old urban legend out of London about some crazy guy who would jump over walls, terrify people, and, and then run away again over the rooftops. That in my name, of course. My name is Jack. Oh. Yeah, yeah, so there's like a strange portal. What can you tell us about that up in the air? Sure, sure. So we kind of start in media res of this situation. We don't know where the portal came from. We only know that characters in the world have been living with it for a while and that it has kind of slightly altered the path of history through various ways. Um, kind of random crap from the future and past fall out of it and uh, that's somehow connected with what the robots are doing and how people are interacting. It's kind of a weird semi-McCarthy era like very oppressive, suspicious society, but um, people are still living there because there's industry and science has kind of, kind of gone strange. Um, but but yeah, it's a it's a really weird world, and we're kind of following one person's extremely strange trek through it. 
Did you say what your role is in it, like what you do? Sure, sure. Yeah, I am uh, the writer, director, and robot builder. Um, I do a little bit of editing. That's mostly my wife. Uh, she does producing, and I don't do the cinematography. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, one of the things I really like doing, even though it made pre-production a pain, was designing all the robot puppets. Uh, we have a walking, 8-foot-tall, 200-pound main robot puppet in the first episode. Um, that took uh, eight people to operate, one on each leg, one on each arm, some to control forward motion, some to control bobbing, and a walking green screen behind it to key out all the puppeteers. So I, telling someone else that that's what I was going to do like, just, wouldn't, just didn't make any sense. So I kind of wrote the script knowing what we could practically build and then practically implement and then digitally smooth out and fix and, and really make it rock. Awesome. And I really like your packaging for your DVDs. Can you explain it to the audience? Sure, sure. So we package our DVDs for the series in uh, five and a quarter inch floppy disks that we cut open, take out the data, and then put in our DVD. Um, it's really neat tie into the world because in the series, the hero uses big old huge eight inch floppy disks. They're the size of your head, um, but they pretty much look like five and a quarters. They were series, they were time period appropriate when we selected them. Um, for the production design. But yeah, so the, the smaller discs are a sweet tie-in, and people really haven't seen them bef recently, so it's, it's a great shout-out. Great. So what's currently online, and what's, what's going to be coming up? The first episode, called Once Upon a Time in 1972, uh, each episode set in a different year, so the first episode, 1972, is out on YouTube and Blip now, um, and we're kind of doing a cool launch on it. I'm going to put out some BTS stuff, and then we're going to do a big press push in the next few weeks, accompanied by Kickstarter. We've already finished an hour of the first season, um, and it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. We'd at least like to end the first season in a big way with a kind of another half-hour production, and if the idea really resonates with the crowd, I think we're going to try and do a stretch goal of committing to season two. Awesome, and where can they find you online? Uh, you can find us at transistorpunk.com for the series. We kind of branded the name Transistorpunk. Uh, nobody else is really using it as a, as a post-steampunk, but still kind of weird, techie, techie thing. Also, our production company name is Kill Vampire Lincoln Productions, so we have lots of horror comedy shorts on there. Introduce yourselves, please. Sure. I'm Javier Palenzuela. I'm Ed Shannon. And we're working on Game Nights. Well, can you tell everybody a little bit about your web series? Sure. Our web series is about a bunch of gamers who get together once a week and role-play their characters. And what we do that's different from other people is we animate the imagination, the, you know, the collaborative storytelling that happens within that role-playing game. And we kind of explore, like, why people game. Like, what do they get out of it? A lot of these characters are, have lives that are boring or uh, they're not exactly who they want to be. Maybe they want to be more fit. Maybe they want, to be, uh, they want to be able to have more freedom to do whatever they want. So in the game, it kind of explores the psychology of what they get out of this uh, pretending to be someone else. Sort of like being John Malkovich. That's the way, way I look at it. And, and comedy. You know, and, and it's, it's definitely comedy. It's yeah. a lot of satire. It's kind of South Parky. Our main character's name is Afrodo, and he's a black hobbit. And I kind of feel like Tolkien missed out on making black hobbits, so that's our job now. <laughs> And uh, a lot of our a lot of our all of our monsters in the game they play is based on D and It's a parody called Beasties and Bygones, where a lot of the monsters we just kind of took the monster manual and went nuts and kind of went with a satirical you know angle all of the different monsters like uh, some of them are a little raunchy 
like uh, we have dingle fairies <laughs> and uh, you know vampire mimes and so we just kind of like uh, go fun with the imagination the great part about animation is that we can do anything we want and yeah. so we just we shoot two days two three days everybody's sitting around a table for the Ke- live shoot for yeah. the live shoot Kevin Smithy style park you know dialogue back and forth as they as they are having fun and I think on one of the panels, you mentioned that a lot of uh, the people involved are stand-up comedians. Most of our actors are stand-up comedians. Um, we basically like recruit. We're we are stand-up comedians, so we just have a network of contacts that are stand-up comedians. And a lot of them, it's it's great working with comedians because they have comedic timing already. They also are are not as uh, de- there's not that many divas in the comedy world. Uh, most most um, comedians uh, have to deal with hecklers, and uh, just the fact that they memorize their jokes. Hey, they memorize lines and. It really worked well for us because it gave like, you know, people sitting around a table have a camaraderie and now our actors actually have a camaraderie because they're comics. They have something that keeps them in common on the outside world which they can use in the, in the show. Yeah. I'll just, I'll concur. <laughs> and I'm not sure if uh, you identified what you do in the show. I, uh, well, I do act yes. in the show and, uh, and Edward acts in the show. I'm a writer producer. At, I, I did direct the pilot, but um, we have a new director. Her name is Stana Milanovic, and she's done amazing work for the, new, for the new episodes that are coming out. And our director of photography actually works on The Voice. We've just kicked our talent up to a whole new level. Uh, Bobby Oliver is, is uh, one of our actors. She's, a pretty, she's been doing stand-up comedy for over 20 years. She's been on the Byron Allen show. She definitely has uh, a huge uh, following in L.A. and, and even, even worldwide a little bit. I wouldn't say, maybe national. And then uh, I, uh, well, uh, executive produce, uh, I wrote the theme, uh, uh, composed the theme music, and uh, basically sound design. He's the lead and, animator. Yeah, yeah, any kind of audio or music I do, uh, lead animation, what else? Uh, act, acting, uh, I have a character boom in it. Miking, yeah, boom micing. Just kind of like. Yeah, we yeah. keep our, our, budgets, uh, very, uh, our budgets and our crews very small. It's a skeleton type crew, and we, have a, we wear a lot of different hats. And uh, that way we can we can control the costs and also just deliver higher quality stuff. Yeah, and oh, and, and I guess the, the the fact that the live shoot is basically a D and D game, so it's at one table. Like sometimes oh, yeah. there'll be an alternate location, but most of the shoot is one location, yeah. one time period, right. or maybe broke up over two days. But it's it's we can do it with the skeleton crew. Yeah, you know, because exactly. bam, that's it. In the past, I've done a lot of short films that ended up being. T- really tough to schedule and really tough to find locations for so this web series allows me to to create this stuff with like one location and everybody sitting around the scheduling was a nightmare this person's only it's gonna be on the shoot for this day that day this day now it's everybody sitting around a table for almost two days straight and and we we knock it out of the park and one location and it can be anybody's house so it just works for us and we get to practice our animation we get to practice our live action shooting we get to practice our acting and it's just gonna get better how many episodes are online currently Right now we have the pilot is, is completely available online, but soon the, the, the first episode, will, the, the first half of the first episode will be available online and we're going to have a Kickstarter campaign, so please check out, do a Google search for Kickstarter and you know, game nights and you'll see the, the first 10 minutes of the next episode, which I guarantee, yeah, if you even vaguely like the pilot, you'll really like this one because we've just kicked it up a notch. And so uh, the Kickstarter campaign that we're launching t- this, you know, right after Gen Con is pretty much going to just give us finishing costs because the animation just takes a long time and costs a lot of money. The shooting production we can handle with the budgets we have, but we do need it, and it's not going to be that much. We, we can produce a, an episode for about $2,000, which is pretty amazing. And where can everyone find you? You can check us out at criticalhitmedia.com, which we'll see a lot of other projects. We have a, a podcast, a couple podcasts, the Gamers of Comedy podcast, and a Sean and, the Sean and the Bill show, and um, game-nights.com takes you to the same, same page. So criticalhitmedia.com, come check us out. Thank you.
Hey guys, this is Marks. We just got done watching Aiden 5 uh, season 2 premiere over here at Gen Con, and I'm with Ben Bays, the, the showrunner of the show. So, how, how did the screening go, Ben? Uh, it went really well. We were, we were, you know, you never quite know how, how the audience is going to react. So when you're putting it out there for the very first time and with a show like 8 and 5, you live with it for a very, very long time. So uh, before you, you know, you see it a million times before you ever put it out there. And uh, we were really happy. We were really happy with uh, the audience response that we got. And what was your, without spoiling any plot points, uh, what was your favorite part out of uh, this first episode of season two? Um, you know, I think I, I, I've always really loved kind of what we do with Aiden and, and right out of the gate um, in the very opening scene of season two, you, the audience, you kind of realize that this is something new that's happening. And so uh, based on that really cryptic description, um, you know, I, I'll, uh, I'll just let the audience see it when they watch it. But it's one of my favorite parts of this season. How challenging has it been doing season two? Was it like, oh, yeah, we, we got this. We did season one. Or was there some new challenges that you faced? That was definitely the attitude we had going into it. But uh, after the very first day, we suddenly realized it wasn't going to be as simple as we thought. And um, it really it really ballooned into something much larger than we had anticipated. But, you know, we've, we've, done all, we've had a season under our belt, so we kind of knew how to react to the changes so um so we just did and uh we had an excellent helper on set too a fight choreographer uh who was just amazing by the way who is that uh his he's a he's a really good looking young guy by the name of mark's pile so oh, wow. you should interview that guy i need he's to good. meet this guy yeah you should interview that guy he's good he's good well, since you brought up the fights, uh, are we going to see some fights, some big fights in season two? We are, we are. We have lots uh, because we, you know, had a great fight choreographer. We got some great fights, and um, and 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 a part of that too. And I'm being dead serious is that, um, you know, in the first season it was just kind of more play acting, and and it, in the second season it really comes together as a sequence, and I think that's a big difference that audiences will notice from season one to season two. Um, it feels a lot more solid. For people who haven't watched Aiden 5, uh, it's all green screen. I mean, only the people and maybe the props they're holding are real. So I'm sure that takes a lot of time. Did it? Did you get the process down so it was a bit faster this time around? I mean, what's the kind of turnaround for each episode, do you think? You mean, you mean like in post? Yeah, in post. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. That's a good question. It could be two weeks. It could be, you know, two months at this at this stage. That's, that's kind of where we're at. And it really depends on the episode. If you have a pretty straightforward episode where it's talking heads and you know and not too you're not doing too many crazy things with the with the look uh you know a few weeks you know about a month from from soup to nuts the whole thing but uh when you factor in the music and the sound design and all that stuff but but yeah i don't know when you get to some of the larger action sequences it gets a little more complicated (laughs) okay so and also as because you're also director on it too and besides just writing it, uh, directing with the green screen, I mean, is that difficult? Is it easier than, than directing non-green screen? What's your opinion on that? Uh, yes and no. It's, it's kind of, it has its pros and cons. The great thing about it is, is that you can move very, very fast because you're not trying to light environments from scratch, do big company moves, that sort of thing. So you can shoot very efficiently on green screen, which is great. However, that being said, you get lost very easily. When you're in the real world, you know exactly where your environment is, so it's a lot easier to visualize where your camera is supposed to go. 
uh, based on the previous sh- shots that you got. In the green screen world, it happens at least twice a day where we have a discussion about where the 180-degree line really is because you're moving it constantly, and it can be very disorienting, not just for the actors, but also for the filmmakers. So we know season two is going to premiere possibly in the fall, right? Possibly in the fall. That's our goal. And I'll just say, you know, uh, right now for posterity, uh, we're not, you know, we have, we have very little control over that just because everybody's working on it for free in the spare time and life comes up and gets in the way. But that being said, uh, we have a really solid team and a really good pipeline that is working right now. So let's hope it stays working. <laughs> now, are you hoping, obviously still very early on, but are you hoping to do a season three or is it going to just depend upon how season two does? Well, I think my answer will vary based on where I'm at in production to that question uh, and how tired I am. Uh, but no, I mean, the, the plan has always been to do a season three, and we've written it as a three-season story arc. So, um, you know, we really, really want to get to that place. Uh, we just, has a lot of, there's a lot of things we got to get through first to get there. So that's the hope. And this uh, season kind of expands the world a bit because there's quite a few new characters, correct? Yes, that's right. We have, um, in fact, I think we tallied it up. We had somewhere between 50 and 60 new speaking roles. I mean, you know, a lot of those are just like one-offs here and there. But we have a lot of new characters, but probably our favorite uh, new character is our new villain this year. And uh, last last season we had, um, you know, the faceless man, kind of the faceless clone. And um, uh, this year we have a new villain. Uh, her name is Vision. And I won't give too much away, but she has uh, some really cool fight moves and a really cool costume. And she has this really cool device that allows her to tactically get the layout of the whatever battlefield she's on. So it's kind of a cool mix of past, uh, present, and future tech. Okay, great. And where can people find Aiden 5 online? Uh, Aiden5.com. You can find it there. Uh, we're on YouTube, uh, Blip TV, uh, Vimeo. You can find us just about anywhere. So if there's no God, what happens when we die? I think that when we die, we're dead and that's it. I think heaven, hell, paradise, the river sticks, these are all things created by people just because they couldn't wrap their minds around the thought of being worm food. probably know me as St. Peter. You are in heaven. Heaven is a coffee shop? Just today. I have a job for you, if you're interested. So there's a choice. There's always a choice, Dallas. I want you to write a new Bible. One that people don't use as a reason to fight and judge and kill each other. You want me to write a book that brings every religion together? Yes. Then I want you to do a book tour and sell it. (laughs) What was the other option? Hey guys, this is Mark, still up here in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Gen Con Film Festival. Um, we saw the screening of Book of Dallas, and I'm here with two of the stars. Uh, can you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Well, I am Christine Renee Farley, and I'm God. And my name is David Ross. But you probably know me as St. Peter in the Book of Dallas. 
<laughs> All right. Well, can you guys tell us? I think you guys start off in episode two, right? So, tell us a little bit about what makes your characters a little unique compared to what you know what people perceive as for God and Saint Peter in the Bible. Uh, well, obviously, I'm female, uh, which is not the typical uh, image that people have for for God. But uh, I and I mean the the part was actually originally written for for a man to begin with, like in his 40s or 50s. But I liked the character so much because uh, the God was like so quirky and like kind of snarky and very matter of fact, and I really really wanted to play that type of character. So I went in and auditioned for it anyway, and luckily I got it because it was a fun little part where you get to be a little smartass and um, eat some waffles and some tasty foods and all that good stuff and also be a part of a really awesome series. So <laughs> You really have to want a part where you get to say cool things like the almighty is quite fond of her waffles. You know, mm-hmm. and you get to wear a choir robe, which was was quite comfortable because I didn't actually have to dress, and it was summertime, so you know I was in my choir robe and, and feeling all ethereal underneath that white robe, which was uh, it wasn't it wasn't very hot. It actually got chilly a few times. And, uh, I didn't wear any shoes. And all these things are appealing. I had a, a golden a golden uh, rope, which I tied around my waist. And uh, I got to wear my hair long, almost to shoulder length, and uh, and, and sit next to the, the Almighty mm-hmm. in her perfection. <laughs> and and yeah. basically, I think uh, uh, I, I don't know exactly what our relationship was. Although I remember not always feeling like I was being treated as you know one of the upstairs servants, <laughs> one of the downstairs servants. <laughs> well, you're. I'm God, though. I mean, nobody's my equal. I mean, let's be real for a second. <laughs> exactly. But she doesn't like to take care of all little details. So she sort of leaves it to St. Peter until, you know, she decides to jump in at the last minute and take credit for all of the planning and the details and, the, you know, the specific little things that only St. Peter seems to do or be able to do but I think she's just too lazy to do her for herself yeah I'm I'm the creator of all that is it's my prerogative yeah absolutely (laughs) and and St. Peter realizes that because if she wanted to do everything I'd be out of a job so (laughs) there you you go job security know your place appreciate what you have yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of you probably should explain what Book of Dallas is about, because they're probably going, what? <laughs> uh, well, obviously, part of it takes place in heaven. But it's based around the main character, whose name is Dallas. And Dallas is a non-believer. He's an atheist. And he has a fatal accident and dies and goes to heaven where I give him a divine mandate to go back and actually write a new Bible with, uh, you know, like a different perspective than what religion has because there, you know, religion has become so, uh, what's the word, divided, I guess, kind of, you know, divided in their little sex and everything. And it's meant to kind of try to bring everybody together and focus on what we have in common rather than what is all different and all that good stuff. So it has a very positive uh, kind of kind of kind of message to get uh, 
to kind of get people to, you know, just love everybody. Right, right. <laughs> and the thing that I think is interesting about it is though Dallas McKay writes the book called The Word, uh, you never actually get to find out what's in the book, mm-hmm. except that it's, you know, sort of a collection of all the wisdom of uh, just holiness sort of thing. It sort of combines all the world's religions into one thing. And, of course, all the different religions are going to be very upset about, you know, having their stuff piled in with the other stuff. But you never actually find out what is in, what is in the book. Uh, that's kind of what I like about it because it's more of a focus on Dallas's kind of struggles with in his relationships and how people treat him once he be, becomes like a real prophet. You kind of see what people would do if that if that were to happen. If we were to have like a quote unquote real prophet, that's how people would treat him. Like he he would really be treated that way and I think that that was actually a more effective way to kind of showcase the things that are kind of, I guess, wrong, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, about the that separation uh, of everyone and the differences and everything, where it's just like all he was trying to do was just say this, you know, let's let's work together, guys, and right. he was met with hostility. And even though we don't ever actually see what's in the word in the book, it showcases through the character development and the struggles and the relationships what the underlying tone of what it would be is. I couldn't have said that any better myself, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the uh, the fact that um, uh, the, the actor who plays Dallas, Mr. Crockett, what's his first name? Benjamin. Benjamin. Benjamin, Benjamin Crockett. Crockett was, was really excellent at portraying a, a good-souled person who was fairly jovial and well-adjusted, managed to adjust to the fact that he had died and gone to heaven, that he had to write a gospel, book of gospel, uh, was able to meet all the animosity that was being reflected on him by society in a very jovial and believable way. I mean, he really was like a, a New Age you know, prophet, mm-hmm. uh, not the second coming, not the Messiah, but you know, kind of pinch-hitting for that in a way. Uh, so it takes the, the expected biblical themes and, and puts it into a modern context, which I think people can relate to. And you, and you wind up actually feeling positive about religion if, you know, you can get the kind of religion that everybody can latch onto. I don't think any of you have worked on a web series before. I don't know. I can't. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> that's not online anymore, unfortunately. That was some funny stuff, but, but yeah, I was in that web series. <laughs> well, in general, how has it been working on a web series and dealing with like the distribution of of it coming out online, premiering online, and that kind of reaction? Um, I really love that it's online. Um, I'm really glad that we got cold cast uh, to to want to distribute it because we, we are reaching such a ridiculously large audience um, we're at like at what 1.8 million views or something like that now which is that's amazing that's uh, so we we have that fantastic you know marketing machine behind us and doing that but at the same time though just like the convenience level of you know being able to tell my friends and my family be like hey guys 
watch this in the comfort of your own home it's for free here's the link you know just put it up on Facebook or Twitter or um, when I'm auditioning for roles and I can send them the link to episode two which is awesome um, and be like you know like this is this is one of my awesome performances and this is why you should cast me and it's just it's online and they can go see it and it's on cold cast so it looks super professional and like um, legit because I mean, of course I'm legit, right? But <laughs> I, I like being Be able... Legit. Right, right. But uh, I, I, I like being able to just always have access to it. And I can always show it to somebody, you know? And it's uh, it's just... it's It's really cool to just always be able to show everybody something. Because, I mean, that's the goal to, of storytelling is to just, like, show everybody and tell everybody the story. And so it, it's it's really an, a re- very enabling... Uh, media form like to be able to do that right it's actually the first time I've been in a web series and I was amazed that when we got all those initial views you know you're getting thousands and thousands of views where normally you put something up on YouTube and if you can get 50 people to watch it that's really exciting (laughs) but Coldcast has just got this huge reach and so I mean I was just I felt strange um, I, th- I think I said to Christine, I mean, what, you know, what if we're huge in Brazil? I'd go to work in Brazil, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, if you go to like Yugoslavia or someplace where they, they see you on Coldcast TV, they call you up and they say, we want you to come to Yugoslavia. To make a movie. It'd be great. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's more far-reaching. It feels uh, very, uh, very mainstream, you know, maybe not as cool as, you know, being on cable network or something, you know, like in Breaking Bad but or The Walking Dead, but... But you know, yeah, it's, that's where it's going like to. That. Yeah, the, I mean, that's it's that's where it, I, I feel like the TV's going anyway is going online. I I, I feel like cable is not going to be around for. I mean, if it's still here ten years from now, it will be enormously surprised. I think everything We're is that going close to a Netflix series. Like, I mean, yeah, like, it's, that's where it's going, is the online stuff, and the fact that, you know, we got to get on a website that's reputable, and like, I mean, like, web series is what they do, and they are at the forefront of that transition to everything being online, that, I mean, that's just really, really exciting, you know? There's a lot of things I liked about the project. I liked the uh, soundtrack and the music. I liked yeah. the fact that several directors were involved, mm-hmm. and, it, and it brought different energy and different camera techniques into into some of the episodes, and that everybody associated with it were just were just wonderful people. It was uh, it was altogether enjoyable and stimulating yeah. uh, to do the Book of Dallas. We did have good people like reliable people which is <laughs> kind of kind of a difficult thing to come across. Who knew they were out there you know they must <laughs> yeah we had, we had people that would like show up and stuff that was, yeah. was amazing <laughs> so as actors obviously your character's foundation begins with a script but you always bring something unique to that character uh what's one element that maybe you brought to the of your characters that was maybe a little unique well God is actually, um, this is, wow, I sound so narcissistic with what I'm about to say, but I actually put a lot of myself into it. For those, She loves waffles. <laughs> I do. I actually really do love waffles. It's, it's like my favorite. But, um, but I kind of have a, a, a type of personality trait, I guess, that uh, where I, I make jokes to put myself up, and I talk about how awesome I am and how I'm just – 
that fantastic and I can do no wrong and I'm just great at everything. And uh, that kind of mentality is more what I put into into God. But I mean, that it works with uh, with the lines that were being said and um, just the the tone that I was reading. It, I felt like it was completely appropriate that God, I mean, I mean, God would, I mean, like, I'm God, you know, <laughs> you know, like, I'm, I obviously am awesome at everything, and I should always get what I want, and so that's the, the kind of thing that, uh, that I wanted to, to work with that, but uh, in episode 10, the last episode, there is a, a more serious scene with God, and, um, and I kind of have a, a little, little sit down with with Dallas where I'm, where it uh he's actually pretty upset with God at that point and um and so I, I have a little sit down conversation with him and what I wanted to try to do is actually take a more maternal approach to it you know like you know he you know he is my child and I'm trying to like walk him through this obviously very difficult time that you know because he's having to deal with so much and um, I feel like maybe that's something that may not have been able to be to be brought to the character had had you know been cast as a man as it was in initially intended to be, or you know just anything like that. Um, I, I did, there was definitely what I, I mean I hope was a definite shift of what I was doing character wise because I I wanted to take it and be like no this is serious and I wanted to be more caring and and treat it more like. You know, Ben's like what, like a year or two actually younger than me, <laughs> but I wanted to actually treat it more like, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm your, your great mother, like figure, I guess, and and kind of be that, and so yeah. Yeah, I think in the original script, God was more sort of more of a disinterested businessman. Was not actually supposed to be, you know, a real loving, friendly God. He's more sort of like an Old Testament kind of God, where you know. Hey, this is the way it is. You follow these rules, and if not, I'll smite you. You know. <laughs> but then Christine brought that that other female quality to it, which added another layer to it. But it was interesting working against that. I think the my job was just pretty much to be a straight man, and and to be you know that conventional thing that you expect the white-haired, old, friendly, robed man that's going to help you make the transition from your earthly realm to to heaven to work really good. And, and I could do that, but on the other hand, I was sort of like, you know, that was, that was sort of like my used car salesman, uh, St. Peter, you know, oh, Dallas McKay, I'm so glad to see you, and all that sort of thing. But then, you know, eh, you know, <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah, it, and God would say, he gets it, you know, and I go, oh, you know, why do I bother? Well, you know, why do I even bother doing this? Hello, Dallas McKay, you know, I mean, what, what the heck? I mean, I'm just a, a figurehead right and and god's over here and there's nothing i can do make her look any better than she is you know she <laughs> she won't follow the she's not following the accepted you know profile for the ever loving god you know and i i just can't you know i can't bondo that over for her you know at some point people are going to find out mm -hmm. and then i just throw up my hands and say okay well this is god you know deal with it and uh, being at Gen Con, I don't know, if, is this your first Gen Con, Christine? It is my first Gen Con, and I'm enjoying myself immensely. Um, I didn't realize how, how big it was going to be. Like, um, I mean, I, I knew it was, like, established. You know, it's a really, like, old established con, but I don't know. I guess I just didn't fully comprehend uh, just the kind of the size of it. And, I mean, there are a ton of film showing and, like, a lot of... I, it, 
I can't even keep up with everything that's that's going on and I'm like super disappointed whenever I'm just like oh these two things that I want to do are happening at the exact same time Mm -hmm. and so um yeah it's it's been a really fun really busy really tiring yet um there happens to be a Starbucks right here in the hotel next to the film festival so that's convenient um so stop time and you can't be in two places at once even even God I'm trying to keep a low profile here okay and we got a special guest star who just appeared. He's also a guest star in Book of Dallas. Hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> What's are you, up? Are you a real person? I am a real person. I'm not a clone this time. Oh. I'm not. I'm a, it's actually me. Um, uh, I'm Sarah Moore. For real. For real? The, the real Sarah Moore. I don't know <laughs> about those other imposters. This one's real. So, so uh, while you're here, let's talk a little bit about your character and uh, your appearance in Book of Dallas. Uh, yeah, she was mean. She's not a nice person at all. Uh, she, um, she was like a crazy fundamentalist Christian, which is like so not me at all. Um, and she yelled a lot at Dallas, and she called him bad names. And then he went outside and got hit by a car. So... Spoilers. I think, she was, I think she was driving that car. She ranged it. It was hit. I bet that's what it was. I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, you also cannot prove that she did it. So I'm going to stand behind that. That's what I have to say. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. And when you come to heaven, I, I'll greet you and I'll try to help you make uh, a friendly transition. Just be a little bit ready that when you finally meet God, you know, it, it's not going to be what you think it is. Bring waffles. Hi, I'm Joanna from Standard Action, and you're listening to Genretainment. Special thanks to everyone that we spoke to, and we look forward to seeing what films and series they bring to the film festival next year. So that's it for today's Genretainment. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll be back with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. And don't forget, you can also check out the other great shows on this channel like SFP Now, The Roundtable, and more. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until Until next time. time!